Pre-Campaign Prep. This is Demystified, solving DM mysteries in 20 minutes or less, because the only hard part is scheduling the next session. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Joey. And I'm Asaf. And today, we're going to talk about how much preparation should go into building elements of your campaign before you schedule your campaign. Preparation is important, because if you don't have a story to tell, you can't really tell it. And if you don't have a setting for your story, then your story is going to happen in a vacuum. Or, in my experience, that if you have to make a decision on the fly, you are going to pick something that could be lazy or easy or non-interesting. So my main concern is that by prep, you can come up with really interesting things for your world and your story and your characters and your NPCs and your plot if you just take some time and think, what could happen? What is interesting? What about this popular media makes me feel that I want to replicate for my players. And how can I replicate that? And by bringing that into your preparation, you can build a world, but you don't need to build every house and plot every farmland and build every economy and the rank structure for every army. Because if you spend too much time doing that, then you'll never actually tell your story. Brandon Sanderson calls it world builder's disease, where if you do get pulled into building your world, then you'll spend more time building it than telling stories in it. And that can be true of DMs as well. Right. I think if you're a first-time DM, don't bother building a world. Okay. Start with something you know, so, something you're familiar with. So prep can be optional. So what would a prep optional campaign look like? Well, I'm not saying prep is optional. I, I mean... Yeah, certainly, but you should you should definitely prepare. I'm just saying you don't have to build a whole world to start yeah. a D&D game. Right. I think pre-campaign prep should fall into a couple different categories of the setting your story is going to be in and the overarching story you're telling. And those two can and should overlap. You got to at least consider both of them. The story you're telling fundamentally is the most important part for a campaign because that's what the players are going to be doing. The world prep is how the players are going to be doing it. You don't have to do that at all if your players have an understanding of the setting you're doing it in. And what I mean by that is if you're doing it in an established setting like Faerun, or Greyhawk, where, where your players come into it with background knowledge of the setting, you don't got to do anything. But if your players don't have that knowledge, or if you don't have that knowledge, then you got to do some world prep. So that way you have a place for the players to interact. So if you are going to play entirely in the Sword Coast with the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, then the prep involves reading that book. Yes. Or, you know, the vast amount of content that has the Sword Coast information that's on the internet. You can find so much Sword Coast stuff online. Right. So if you're going into an established setting, the world building prep is very minimal. And then you get to focus on the stories that you can tell in that setting. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Sword Coast, of Faerun, and the established settings of D&D. And that's what I advocate. That's where I play. And my games are my version of 
Faerun, I definitely certainly make changes, but that is a place that's easy for me to get into and for my players to get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of benefit to playing in those settings because there's a lot of knowledge that's there that you as the DM or the players don't need to create right. and think about, and they don't have to put any brain power into it. But the other side of that is, and this is myself as an example, I've never really got into the books of those settings, so I've never read a lot of old D&D books. Me either. I come into it with very little previous knowledge other than what I got out of the video games. And right. I'm like, the video games, eh, it's okay. The stories, the, the mechanics, it was fun playing them. The gameplay was fun. But who is the lord of this city of this castle? Eh, I don't care. Oh, it was Baron Nasher. <laughs> Right. But I love the world. I love creating a world and thinking about the world and thinking about how it happens. So for me, the idea of world building is not work. It's something that just kind of happens in my head while I'm doing other stuff. Okay. For me, it's just writing it down. Yeah. So in one minute or less, what does each of your pre-campaign planning for world building look like? World building? Focus on the parts that the players are going to interact with. Mm -hmm. Think about what they're interested in and what can help you with the story. If you're doing cities, stuff like that, prep the the related topics. Don't focus on the stuff that the players are not going to interact with. The astronomy of the universe is going to be interesting for you. Players aren't going to see it. Don't focus there. Right, exactly. Uh, Focus on, on the immediate locations where the adventure is taking place. Sure. Um, If you're adventuring in Neverwinter, focus on that. Waterdeep. Focus on that. Cormier, focus there. Okay, so focus on the locale. So if you weren't pulling from an existing location or even something like Middle Earth, say you wanted to have a campaign in Middle Earth, but you didn't want it to be Middle Earth, what would you look at when building a new planet for your players to walk around? How much consideration do you give and what are the major elements about the world that the players are going to go on? I mean, if we're talking about planets, there's a lot of good resources for building planets out there on DriveThruRPG. All the Spelljammer books are great for if you want to build universes and planets. That's It's a lot of work, though. You got to think about the shape. Continents. If Are there continents? Or what kind of... Is it, is it a gas planet? Is it just a, a flaming planet? Is it a water planet? So let's say, planet. let's say typical fantasy planet. Right. Okay. You know, yeah. oceans, mountains. If I'm trying to create like a new setting or a setting agnostic kind of adventure, I like to focus on just an island or a, a small a peninsula, a small part of a, a continent. So how many, I understand that, that there's miles and kilometers and all of these other measurement units, hex grids and squares and all that. How would you set the scope for where you carve out of your own particular little world? That really depends on how much enjoyment you get out of it. Mm. So if world building is your jam, starting top down, nations going to the locale is going to be fun for you. Mm. And that could be a good place to go. If it's not your jam, but you don't want to play in in an established setting, starting local, starting at the town that you're in, your players are going to be in and say like, well, what needs to be thought up and prepped ahead of time? for the players to interact with. And you can build on it later. It's always something to consider is trying not to make things that push you into a corner or or contradict other stuff you've made. But fundamentally, it comes back down to what do you think your players might interact with immediately? Right. 
And it's also okay to make what I call default decisions. Are your players riding horses or are they riding giant beetles? It's okay for them to ride horses. If you have them riding giant beetles, then you need to have a beetle-based ecology that explains giant beetles. And that can be fun for you, or you can have your players ride horses. Yeah, and and that relates back to what are the players going to be interacting. If you're never going to bring up the fact that they're riding beetles in Mm -hmm. the campaign, if you're never going to make that a talking point of the sessions, even if they just talk about it, why did you put the effort into riding beetles? Yeah. It might be neat. It might be cool. But if it's never mentioned by the players or you then it might as well have never happened. Right. Or it could really help with the tone. If you want to enforce kind of an otherness to your world, making common decisions and saying, what if houses are made from bundles of grass instead of sticks, wood, and mud? Yeah. And again, that goes back to making it something that they can interact with. If your right. houses are are made of bundles of, of grass, then They're... anyone casting a fire spell needs to know that and you should bring it up whenever they cast fire spell like by the way uh, oh that's illegal if you cast a fireball in this thing uh then the whole house might get on fire then fire is a deadly weapon everywhere you go and that can have a real impact on the look and feel of your campaign how many npcs do you build before your players bring their characters to session zero three (laughs) (laughs) no really three Uh, well because that's where it should start you need a villain you need a ally and then someone who's in between, someone who's somewhere in the middle. And then from there, you can build out the rest of your cast of characters. You can have each of those NPCs carry a bucket of similar NPCs who fill similar roles. Antagonists, protagonists, and acquaintances. Well, NPCs kind of falls into two categories of nameless faces they come across. So you can have a list of names so that when they ask, what's the name of this guard? You can just pull a name off and be like, this is his name. Mm -hmm. Players love that. But at the same time, don't write a giant backstory for guard A. Oh, the Robert Jordan route. Yeah. So there should be a couple of people going three's three's good. I like three. Uh-huh. There should be a couple of people where you're writing their story, which includes what they want, what they're willing to do with to get it, and what they're not willing to do. Right. You know, those kind of ideas for your major guys. You don't need to stat them out unless the player unless there's a chance your players can try and D&D interact with them, either fight with them or persuade them or whatever. If you're going to be introducing the players to these characters, they're going to be standing in the same room. You, you definitely want to have them stat it out. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes and no. I, I, For me, statting it out is like, what bonus do I give them for things the character, the, the NPC is proficient in? And what bonus do I give them for, for the stuff they, for everything else? And what kind of damage might they do if they're going to be damaging? And then how hard are they to get? Right. I don't need to come up with all six stats and then a list of skills. I just think about what makes sense. So there's that level of prep also. Because for guard A, you should know his combat stats. Right. And that's a different kind of NPC prep than just what is his name and backstory. But you can prep your guards when the players go into an area with guards. Yes. Later on. So pre-campaign... Your NPCs are going to be driven by your story archetypes. You're going to have to use James Bond. The players are going to be your James Bond. So you aren't going to come up with them. But you are going to have the villain. You are going to have the blowfield 
who they are going to have to defeat. You are going to have their M, who is going to give them a task and a purpose. And you are going to have kind of the faceless contacts that James Bond meets in a bar. Yeah. I would say for NPCs, have that list of like, these are the guys that are going to be the movers and shakers. Mm -hmm. And then they're the ones that you really need to care about their motivations. And then the ones that they're going to be interacting with who aren't movers and shakers, their motivations and and that kind of prep are not important, but you might need to care about the other stuff. Till later. Yeah. Okay. So pretty much just... Build a couple, build three NPCs in service of your story, and move on. Yeah. How many plot hooks do you need to build for the service of your story? One. <laughs> Just one. Why are they in it? <laughs> well, yes and no. I think. I mean, it depends on the party. I mean, if they're already already bought in, you just need the one reason for them sure. to be there. But if you kind of already started running an adventure and you're kind of trying to hook them into a, a new story with existing characters, yeah, you might want to have a couple different plot hooks. Okay. Well, I want to I want to add on that and and asterisk that there's the the major plot hooks that you're going to have if you're planning a campaign that involves a major plot hook. But then there's the small plot hook. So you might have an idea of if you're telling a a giant world ending story like the rise of Tiamat or something like that, Mm -hmm. you got your you got your your main plot hook and that drives everything else. If you're planning on playing a Greyhawk campaign or something like a little bit more open without a giant world ending event, then having a couple of smaller adventure hooks that can get them from A to B, a couple of those might be helpful. Right. So it really depends on what you're doing. And also, do you build out side quest hooks that exist to flesh out the world, but maybe also show that the world doesn't revolve around your protagonists fighting the antagonist? I think that also depends on what your goal. Okay. And if you come to the player and say, I want to play a story that tells this, and that can go back to the rise of Tiamat or something like that. If that is your goal, that should be the focus of a lot of things. And you might as the game progresses, include other side hooks. Mm-hmm. But that's not something that you would need to prep ahead of time. Sure. Because fundamentally, the whole world ends if the players don't do the job. So whether or not Prince and Nation A is fighting with Prince and Nation B, that doesn't change the story here. Right. So when you are trying to figure out the main story for why your players are going to show up session after session, don't be planning a jousting festival unless that is the entire reason the players are showing up. That could be the thing that leads to the other event. Like right. the store, the jousting festival might be why they're in this town where they get this thing. That's okay. But don't plan like 30 small adventures that happen at different stages or they have options of doing when fundamentally you're telling this world-ending story. Otherwise, you're going to spend way too much time planning all of those and not actually telling the story. Yeah. All right. We spoke initially about that if you don't want to build a world, start with a town. What do you need to have to have a functional town map? Um, an inn? A blacksmith? A mayor? A farm? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, right. I would say you don't always need a map. I like having maps. No, I map think it's good. I think maps give a sense of perspective and they also visually cue the players on the scope. 
Sure. So if you give them a town map in their heads, they're already subconsciously saying, this is where we're staying. If you give them a world map, then they're sitting there saying there's a, a bigger sea out there and I might travel a bit. Okay. So just as another piece of advice to throw it out there, because it might be useful now, I've heard that level one through three characters are capable of saving a town. And then above there, there's characters who are capable of saving a city. And then once you reach level 10, you're capable of saving a nation. And then after that, you can do whatever you want. Save the world. Yeah. yeah. That, that kind of Only makes... after you save the cheerleader. Yeah. 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 That does hold a lot of water. Because when you're looking at where, like, the power level of the characters, and also where you are in the campaign, a level one character hasn't done much. Right. So NPC-wise... Nobody knows them. They're not even a big fish in a small pond. They are a small fish in a small pond. Yeah. There's no reason to prep giant world interactions with when your character's level one. Right. Okay. They're not there yet. So we'll dive into setting the character level as part of your campaign starting conditions later. But I do want to move on to something that's optional. What type of organizations would you plan for? In service of your story, religious organizations, academic organizations, law, uh, political, so on and so forth. When I'm trying to plan organizations for games, I usually like to have them built around the players' characters. If I'm doing any kind of homebrew stuff where I'm not running a pre-made campaign, I like to do any kind of world building or prep based off of the characters' backgrounds and where they come from. So I think it's a good idea to ask your players what what organizations do your characters belong to if you're building a world from scratch then having a like one sentence blurb about organizations you might have is probably all you need until you get that player interaction right because if you just tell a player hey they don't know anything about your world it's a completely homebrew world yes hey, what organization are you in they're gonna sit there and look at you and be like what are my options right. But if you're playing an established setting, focus on reading the organizations that your players are interested in. Also, if an established setting does have organizations already and your players are part of different organizations, maybe think about swapping those organizations out. For example, this city features a temple to a specific deity, but none of your players are a follower of that deity. Change it to being a temple of a deity that one of your players follows. So I like the rule of three NPCs. I, I really like that. Would you say that that echoes or applies at all to organizations? Is friendly, yeah. antagonistic, yeah. and neutral? Yeah, definitely. I think when, when looking at organizations, not necessarily. It's good to have three because it gives you options, but not all organizations will be necessarily opposed to each other. Well, when you're thinking about the ones that the players are interacting with, you want to have... Right. Three, I right. Think. At right. least one that opposes them, one that either helps or tasks or rewards them, and one that doesn't really care about them. There's a little bit of a challenge of that is like, well, what if player A is in one organization and player A, player B is in another one? And those like those two might be opposed to each Drama. other. Drama. Yeah. So it's good to think about if you're coming up with a couple of uh, organizations, it might be helpful to think about how they interact with each other, not necessarily how they interact with the players, because that'll reflect in the, the sessions like when that comes up. So it allows that balance of, well, this organization is kind of butts heads with this one because they, they kind of do overlapping things, but they don't want to share power. Right. 
just kind of rapid fire time. Is there anything else that you prep about your world, your setting, your story that we didn't talk about here? For me, I just want to say the most important things for prepping are the NPC stats, because you never know when the players are going to try to kill them, mm-hmm. and having events prepped to try to pull things back into the story, pull the characters back into the story, or just to keep things interesting in case they try to go off the rails a little bit. I would say don't over prep any one thing you're prepping. So like I said, if you're prepping NPCs, organizations, towns, don't go into what they tile their roofs with. Give yourself only a couple of sentences for each one. Right. A couple of bullet points. Spend maybe five or ten minutes on each one. That way you're not writing yourself into a corner, but you're giving yourself clues so that way you can kind of guide those decisions as they happen. Right. You can make the right call under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times people will say, will go so far into an organization where they're like, I'm going to write down the religious text verses for this temple and that never comes up right just wasted hours yeah okay so that's another mystery demystified yay for us (laughs) huzzah Huzzah. (laughs) this was demystified if you liked it we'd appreciate it if you could leave a review or share this with your friends our website is demystified.com just the letter d mystified.com do you have a question for us reach out via our twitter handle at pickled wizards or ask on facebook at pickled wizards same page we might talk about your problem here